I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, war in Israel. President Joe Biden weighs in as fighting continues in the Middle East. Some assembly required. The House scrambles to find its next speaker, how Kevin McCarthy is offering his help. United under the church. The latest on the Synod on Synodality, including a special service at St. Peter's Basilica. And now and forever. A new children's book examines what the church teaches about purgatory. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, the war in the Middle East. With each passing day, the intensity of the violence grows and along with it, the number of casualties on both sides of the border. In Gaza, Israel is pounding areas with deadly airstrikes since the conflict erupted on Saturday. The Palestinian Ministry of Health reports more than 830 people have died. In addition, more than 187,000 residents have been displaced. That is according to a report from the U.N. Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. But that has not stopped Hamas from firing rockets back into Israel, as CNN reporter Jeremy Diamond can attest. We're here in Ashdod. We just heard the sirens going off, indicating that rocket fire is coming in from Gaza. We have yet to hear those Iron Dome interceptions yet, but they should be coming momentarily. That is typically the cadence that you hear in these types of situations. Uh, we're just going to pause for a moment. There it is. And you can hear that was the Iron Dome intercepting. You can see some of the smoke there left from those uh, Iron Dome intercepts up in the air above Ashdod. In the last four days, more than 1,000 people have died in Israel. Much of the border is now secured by the Israeli military. Many fear this is a buildup to a full-scale ground invasion. Yet the terrorist group controlling the Gaza Strip is threatening to execute more than 100 people that it took hostage if the Israeli military carries out retaliatory strikes on homes in the Palestinian territory without warning. Our President Joe Biden used some very powerful and graphic language today to address the attack on Israel. He said the stated purpose of the terror group Hamas is to kill Jews, and he called it pure, unadulterated evil. In addition, the president promised Israel that the United States has their back in this new war, and he confirmed American citizens are now being held by Hamas. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, in a speech today, President Joe Biden says he has no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the globe. He also spoke of parents in Israel being butchered as they tried using their bodies to protect their own children, babies killed, families slain, young people massacred at a music festival. And he said Israel has a right and a duty to respond to vicious attacks. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. President Joe Biden addresses the nation on the war now underway in the Middle East. This is an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. And for many other Americans there, it's uncertain what their status is. 
There's still so many families desperately waiting to hear the fate of their loved ones, not knowing if they're alive or dead or hostages. In the press briefing room, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters, We are working with the Israeli government and with our regional partners on every aspect of the hostage crisis, including sharing intelligence and deploying experts from across the U.S. government to advise the Israeli government and coordinate with them on hostage recovery efforts. Israel has said it will defeat Hamas. The question now, how will the U.S. be involved? Over the coming days, we'll continue to stand strongly with Israel to ensure that it is able to defend itself. The U.S. also working with partners overseas. President Biden released a joint statement with Germany, Italy, and the United Kingdom, writing, We will remain united and coordinated, together as allies and as common friends of Israel, to ensure Israel is able to defend itself. The White House already creating a show of solidarity. Overnight, it was lit in the blue and white colors of the Israeli flag. In his speech today, President Biden also said that he spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today and told him that if the U.S. was experiencing what Israel is right now, the U.S. response would be swift, decisive, and overwhelming, adding that democracies are stronger and more secure when they act according to the rule of law, including the laws of war. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Now we go now to Sam Brownback, former United States ambassador at large for international religious freedom under President Donald Trump. Ambassador Brownback, welcome back. Good to see you again. Um, as we know, the attack on Israel by the terror group Hamas happened early on a Saturday morning during a major Jewish holiday. Some would say that is what makes the attack especially heinous. Um, as a former ambassador of religious freedom, can you talk to us more about that? Well, this is an attack on Jews. This is a religiously motivated attack. Uh, if this was a Muslim country, of which there are some 50 in the world, uh, they wouldn't be attacking them. This is an attack on Judaism, and that's clear and simple what's happening. But also make no mistake about it, Iran is behind this. And I'm always for going at the puppet master, not at the puppet uh, on this. And we've got to go very strong and direct and hard against Iran. That's the key one that's pulling the strings in this. Ambassador Brownback, uh, you know, there are people saying, what is it exactly that Hamas wants from Israel? What is this really about? I mean, is it simply religion? Anything else? They want to destroy the Jewish state. They want to push the Jews off into the ocean. You see some of the protesters just talking about horrific things that they want to do uh, to the Jewish people. And there's this deep-seated hatred that's not been resolved. When the Abrahamic Accords were coming together and they've been moving forward, Iran is strongly opposed to the Abrahamic Accords. They're trying to decimate that. And I think this is part of their, Iran's backing of Hamas attacking Israel, is to really destroy the ground that the Abrahamic Accords have been built on. And what about Christians, I mean, living in this region? Can you talk to, to us about, you know, how does this affect them and how are they feeling about all this right now? And they're, they're feeling pretty um, difficult, in a great uh, difficult spot that they could easily be next. They could be targets uh, for this attack as well. So uh, this is a very unsettling thing for Christians in the region. Yeah, and what about maybe a possible you know, spillover effect and impact relations between people of different religions, uh, not just here in the U.S., but in, in different countries? 
Absolutely. I think really that's what Iran is after here is the spillover effect. They want this to spill out into the broader Islamic world and undermine the Abrahamic Accords where you have peace agreements between a number of the the Muslim countries and Israel. They want to stop all of that. And remember, Iran is a charter member of this evil axis of Russia, China, and Iran. They want to disrupt the world and really try and press in on the Biden administration uh, with all this disruptive activity. That's what's taking place. Ambassador Brownback, I mean, how do you see this all playing out in the Middle East? I could see this getting much bigger. Uh, I could see it uh, also moving forward uh, towards Taiwan and China towards Taiwan. Russia's attacking in Ukraine. You got Iran attacking uh, in Israel. You could see China attacking in Taiwan, saying this is their moment to move. They're trying the administration to see how much they would respond. Um, I think you can see these things a very good chance that they could spill on into greater activities. Yeah, very concerning time. We have to pray. Ambassador Brownback, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, on Capitol Hill, the only question is who will be the next Speaker of the House until that happens? House lawmakers are unable to conduct business, and there are a number of pressing needs, including aid to Israel. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric. Well, good evening, Tracy. Yes, lawmakers got an intelligence briefing today on the state of Israel. Afterwards, lawmakers did confirm to me that, yes, 14 Americans at least have been killed and more Americans are being held hostage by Hamas. Now, Israeli civilians, including babies, are being slaughtered in the streets. Bottom line over here on Capitol Hill, a new speaker must be elected soon. Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Committee Chair Congressman Jim Jordan both want the job. But I spoke with former Speaker, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He tells me that he's willing to take the gavel, at least for a short time if needed. It's up to the conference to decide. You know, I've served, unfortunately, all the Democrats and just eight Republicans. Ninety-six percent of the Republicans said no. Um, it seems very short-sighted of those eight. Some it seems like it's a personal with no plan, no idea who to follow. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy also tells me helping Israel is a top priority. We need to replenish the Iron Dome, provide them with the medical supplies they need to do the job. Everybody in the world, we should gravitate together that Hamas has to be destroyed, not weakened, destroyed. Some GOP lawmakers want former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy back in the job, at least for now. Given the situation in the Middle East with one of our closest allies in the world, uh, it is critical uh, that we bring this to a close expeditiously. Uh, I believe very strongly uh, that Kevin McCarthy is the right person uh, to lead the House. Congressman Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise have both pitched themselves as unifiers. But I think it is important that, you know, the members hear very clearly from both of them on, one, how they want to lead, two, what are going to be their priorities, three, you know, in some respects, what's their strategy to get it accomplished. Some even support former President Donald Trump, who has said he would take the gavel temporarily. Democrats say that any speaker must be bipartisan. I think it's really critically important, as we've seen, that a speaker of the House not be beholden to an extremist far-right group of people that are not focused on governing the, nation, governing the nation or supporting our friends and allies across the world. What advice would you have for the next speaker? When you become speaker, it's different than being the leader of the Republicans. You've got to lead the nation. At times, you've got to be willing to take risk what's right for the country. Um, and um, don't be afraid.
former Speaker Kevin McCarthy did tell me that he thinks history will prove him right by avoiding a government shutdown. Meanwhile, the House Republican Conference wants to nominate a Speaker candidate quickly, as soon as tomorrow. But given the divisions within the GOP ranks, some lawmakers tell me that it could take a while. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Tomorrow on EWTN News Nightly, more with a former Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy tells Eric with what took place in Israel, another 9-11 could happen here. Plus, more on the Republican agenda in the future. Well, the White House says President Biden has been interviewed as part of the special counsel investigation into his handling alleged mishandling, that is, of classified documents. A spokesman says the president was voluntarily interviewed by special counsel Robert Hur on Sunday and Monday. The probe is looking into whether there was improper use of classified documents from President Biden's time as a senator and vice president. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including search for survivors, the aftermath of an earthquake that left more than 2,000 people dead, and analysis of the conflict in Israel from a Middle East terror expert. Around 30 people are dead after a bombing attack on a camp for displaced people in Myanmar. The country's military is accused of launching the strike on houses and schools. Military officials deny the claim. Among the dead are nearly a dozen children. In Afghanistan, it is a race against the clock to find survivors of a 6.3 magnitude earthquake. It happened on Saturday, killing more than 2,000 people. Now hundreds of people are feared to still be trapped underneath the debris. Taliban leaders say there is an urgent need for tents, medical supplies and food. As we reported earlier, the violence is increasing in the war between Israel and the terror group Hamas. But what about the timing of Saturday's attack and how did it slip through the cracks of Israeli intelligence? We turn now to Claire Lopez, founder and president of Lopez Liberty LLC and a specialist in Middle East terrorism. Claire, great to have you back on. Uh, first off, how do you think this happened? I mean, how was Israel caught off guard and how did their intelligence operations seemingly miss this? Well, Israel, as well as the United States, both uh, were, were caught completely off guard. Um, for Israel, um, the date, uh, it began with that. Um, it was the last day of the celebration of Sukkot, which follows the High Holy Days of uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It was also the morning uh, of, of Shabbat, when many people were either at home uh, or uh, praying, uh, uh, getting ready to go pray in the shul. Um, so there's that, but also in the lead up to to this uh, attack, um, internally, um, Israel, as we all know, has been involved in uh, a fair amount of uh, domestic uh, dispute, uh, politically um, uh, based political uh, discussion and, and 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 disagreement about where to go with judicial reform. There's that. Um, but then also there was a very clever, sophisticated attempt uh, by Hamas, which, of course, uh, is the Gaza branch of the Egyptian jihadist Muslim Brotherhood, uh, under the direction of the Iranian regime, as we now know from the, Washington, uh, the, uh, the Wall Street Journal piece of just a couple days ago. But a sophisticated psyops uh, effort took place to project the image of Hamas in Gaza as uh, 
considering more uh, its financial situation, its economic situation. Israel provides, provided Hamas water, electricity, food, uh, and jobs, allowing workers from Gaza to go into Israel every day to work and earn much higher salaries than they could back in Gaza. And so Hamas, under Iranian um, supervision and direction, as we now know, projected the image that this is all they were after. This is what they wanted. They weren't about getting ready to attack. They had no intention of going to war. Uh, and then they also used what you might call low-tech means of preparing uh, for this attack. Now, we do know, of course, that the top leadership of Iran, of Hezbollah in Lebanon, and of Hamas and Pij, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, were meeting in Beirut for months planning before this attack. But on the home front, back in Gaza, uh, Hamas was projecting an image um, and using low-tech means uh, of personal couriers, for example, to, to pass messages. Um, and then when the attack began, they knocked out with cyber attack and, and with taking out um, the high-tech sophisticated security fences that surround Gaza, between Gaza and, and Israel. And they came in to Israel on foot, on motorcycles, pickup trucks, and paragliders. And so we can see that a variety of methods were used to deceive the Israelis. On the U.S. side, we can go into more of that if you would like. Yeah, Claire, one thing I want to talk about before we run out of time is really the timing of these attacks. I mean, they come just as Israel and Saudi Arabia were set to improve their relationship. Um, can you quickly talk to us about what that would have meant for the region and what happens now? Well, you know, uh, it, it, it is probably um, a, a process with the Abraham Accords that will not be reversed, I don't think. This could be a setback for sure. But I think that um, what, what the Iranian uh, direction, Hezbollah involved, Hamas leadership, all hoped is that the backlash, what they anticipate or hope to be a backlash of world opinion against Israel as it goes into Gaza now to clean out the Hamas jihadis and Palestinian Islamic Jihad too, that that backlash would somehow turn uh, what they might call the Sunni the Arab street against Israel. I think that might be what they're hoping for. I don't think that's going to happen because the videos, the photos of the absolute utter barbarism of, of these uh, Hamas jihadis um, decapitating babies, raping, abusing women, elderly, these things are shocking the conscience of people all over the world, but including in the Middle East and among Sunnis, who have found it in their interest, and I think will continue to find it in their interest, uh, to remain part of the Abraham Accords, uh, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan is having its problems, Morocco, but behind all of them, Saudi Arabia. And I think that while this may set things back for a time until Hamas is destroyed, I think in the end, because the Abraham Accords are in the interest of each of these parties to the Abraham Accords, Israel um, and Bahrain and United Arab Emirates and Morocco, we'll see about Sudan, um, but also Saudi Arabia, because un 
there's no it's unmistakable that behind the scenes Saudi Arabia was behind the process of the Abraham Accords uh, supporting it and I think again in the future we'll also continue that despite uh, the interruption uh, for right now of this of this war with Hamas in Gaza yeah Claire so much more we can get to but we got to get going thank you so much for coming on your insights you. always appreciate it thank you up next on EWTN News Nightly, Holy Assembly, an update on the Synod, including a divine liturgy inside St. Peter's Basilica. Plus, we review a new book with a purgatory lady. A CVS Pharmacy in Las Vegas has been fined for giving an abortion drug to a pregnant woman. The then mother of four was filling a prescription for a fertility treatment back in 2019 when she was given the abortion drug. The store has been fined $10,000. Two pharmacists have also been penalized. Well, it is the second week of the Synod on Synodality at the Vatican, and participants took part yesterday in an Eastern Rite Divine Liturgy. Leaders from several Eastern Rite churches took part. They chanted prayers and used incense in the centuries-old tradition. Before the Synod draws to a close later this month, there will be four more divine liturgies in St. Peter's Basilica. Well, finally tonight, the author known as the Purgatory Lady has written another book on the topic. This one is geared toward children. New Friends Now and Forever is the story of twins Ben and Hope and their friendship with an elderly man at their parish. They agree to pray for each other and along the way also learn more about purgatory and the power of praying for those who have died. And Susan Tassoni, the author of New Friends Now and Forever, joins us now. Susan, great to see you. All right. It's great to be back. I, I didn't expect to, to come back around again, but boy, we have we have a book, Tracy, that I waited for years to do. It took three years to do, and it, it's probably the pinnacle of all my books. Uh, in fact, I've got it in my lap because I don't want to, I want to be sure it's for real, but Aww. it's a children's book. It's unique. You know why, Tracy? Because there's no other book ever done on purgatory for children. Yeah. Um, it's Susan, let me jump kind. in here. Susan, let me jump in here real quick and ask you this. Okay. So first off, great to have you back. Always good to see you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So a book on purgatory for children. I'm just going to say this as a mother of two kids, they're a little older now, but sometimes the subject of purgatory can be scary. I mean, I don't know if I want to read that as a bedtime story <laughs> for my kids. <laughs> yes, me neither. In fact, it's, it's 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 scary for uh, children and it's scary for adults. But but so so how do you handle that, Tracy? How do you handle a doctrine that's difficult, like like purgatory? You know what I did? I told a story, Tracy. It's a story, and you described it beautifully. It's a delightful story about the twins and how they become prayer pals. And it's not scary. It's warm. It's loving. And it, the book literally, Tracy, takes the fear out of purgatory and it replaces it with God's love. Yeah, and that is so important. You know, I was joking before earlier, but, you know, I do love how you make this book so relatable. And it is important to talk to children about this. So what gave you the idea to write this book? Uh, it's God. I, I mean, that's pretty, a pretty simple answer, but it was there for years. and I And I had to put it aside because... 
the purgatory, we had nine purgatory books and then Faustina came in the picture because she was a big, uh, she's a big purgatory uh, buster. And it was always there, Tracy. We have, so we had nine books on purgatory. There's a wonderful uh, film on purgatory called Purgatory, the Forgotten Church. There's a novel uh, that's a great novel for November. It's called uh, Torture Soul. All these are on EWTN catalog. And, and I realized there's no book for children. And it was always there literally 12, for 12 years. And finally, after all these things were done, apparently God opened that door for me and I jumped in. But it, it wasn't easy because you know why, Tracy? We were reaching the children. And I had four priests looking after me because I almost gave up on it twice wow. uh, because of the physical attacks, uh, the health. And and finally, it was EWTN, uh, someone at EWTN that said, don't give up, go in this direction because of we were looking for the perfect illustrator. I, I wanted something that looked like art that was real. And and finally, the the, the waters were parted and we, we got it. And it, it was, it, I'm just thrilled. It was the greatest, probably the greatest book I've done. Susan, that is wonderful. Thanks for sharing all that with us. And, and really, God bless you. Thank you for writing this book. It's very important, very important for parents to talk to their children about. We are literally almost out of time. But quickly, how can people find this book? You can go to EWTNRC. And remember, it replaces fear with God's love. So we need to form merciful hearts. We need to teach the meaning of purgatory, all souls day. We need to teach them reverence for the dead. We need to teach them the power of prayer sacrifice and that by praying for the souls, they become friends forever. And one last thing I have to share. I was at Sacred Heart Seminary with Archbishop Vigneron. He loved this so much that he wants every child in the Archdiocese of Detroit to have a book. He wants every parish to have several books. He wants the curia to have several books. He wants the cemeteries to have several books. So I'm inviting all other dioceses to 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 join Archbishop Vigneron and increase the church, the church militant and son of the heaven. So we have this um, this cloud of witnesses that are there to support us. That is amazing. That is so wonderful to hear. What a blessing. And God bless you, Susan. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. God bless you, Tracy. Thank you. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.